My name is Nora May Cadena, Managing Partner at Supply Change Capital. My name is Shayna Harris, Managing Partner at Supply Change Capital. I am redefining venture capital by investing in the changing face of food. I am redefining venture capital by investing in the changing face of food. Welcome to The First Close, Carta's podcast about the people who are building next-generation venture capital firms. We interview new voices in venture about their ambitions and challenges as they aim to redefine the industry. At Carta, we help VCs build enduring venture franchises, starting with Fund One. To learn more about how Carta expands access to equity and transforms capital markets, visit us at carta.com. That's C-A-R-T-A dot com. On this episode of The First Close, we interview Nora May Cadena and Shayna Harris, co-founders and managing partners of Supply Change Capital. Supply Change Capital invests in early-stage companies at the intersection of food, culture, and technology, and focuses on three verticals, food and ag tech, ingredient tech, and culturally appealing brands. The team has invested in culinary flow, zero grocery, aquacultured foods, Whetstone Media, IO, and Agua Bonita. Supply Change Capital believes in a future of food that is sustainability-mindful, supply chain efficient, better for you, and culture-rich. Nora May and Shayna met in 2009 at MIT while getting their MBAs, and in 2020, they came together to form Supply Change Capital. Together, Nora May and Shayna combine food domain expertise with tech and investing experience. Nora May is an aerospace engineer turned investor. She previously launched an early-stage fund that invested in over 20 manufacturing and supply chain companies. Shayna brings an insider's eye to the industry, from architecting the 21st century chocolate supply chain at Mars to building the groundbreaking food tech company Farmer's Fridge. She advises Fortune 100 companies and startups on navigating the fast-changing food terrain and writes for Forbes. In our conversation, we discuss their approach to changing the food system through the lens of sustainability, resilience, and diversity, equity, and inclusion. How they leverage data and proprietary frameworks to constantly improve operations within the firm. And their approach to building community and professional networks. As we do in every episode, let's start with our guest slash lines, the key stats that make up their unique track records. We'll go into Nora May's slash line. Nora May has built five entities, including the nonprofit Latinas in STEM, the venture firm Mila Capital, as well as Supply Change Capital, the nonprofit Latinx VC, and the New American Table. Nora May has been in the investment world for six years. She's made 60 investments across her previous fund, portfolio, her angel investments, and seven through Supply Change Capital. Nora May serves on two boards, including CARES Enterprises and Valley Presbyterian Hospital, and one nonprofit board, Latinx VC. Nora May has over 17,000 followers on Twitter, and she has two kids and has earned three degrees. Let's go into Shayna's slash line. Shayna has built seven entities, including Supply Change Capital, The New American Table, Farmer's Fridge, Chicago Fair Trade, United Students for Fair Trade, Oxfam Private Sector Program, and the Mars Impact Program. Shayna has been in the investment world for 18 months, and she was an operator for 15 years. 
Shayna has made 14 investments across supply chain capital, her angel investments, and portfolio. She serves on three boards, SourceMap, Sitka Salmon Shares, and Doselva. And finally, she loves to write, and she is a Forbes contributing writer, and also the author of a chapter of an MIT Press published book. Now let's go into our conversation with Nora May and Shayna. Well, welcome to the first close, Nora May and Shana. I'm so excited to speak with you today about Supply Change Capital, a firm that you all launched at the end of 2020 and that you founded to invest in early stage companies at what you describe as the intersection of food, culture, and technology. And your investment thesis is so interesting, and we'll get into that in a minute. But I want to start with your partnership. How did you all first meet and what was the process of deciding that it was the right time at the end of 2020 to launch Supply Change Capital? First of all, thank you for having us, Jessica. Shana and I met in 2009 while undergoing our MBA program at MIT Sloan, and we've kept in touch over the years following separate career paths, but certainly being aligned in terms of values and vision and impact. And we came together in 2020 through a mutual desire to learn about what each was working on. And ultimately, it was an angel investment in a company called Omsom that we each did independently and then uh, chatted about that really uncovered the opportunity to invest in food and food tech with a lens for multiculturalism. That's amazing. And Shana, from your perspective, what made it the right moment to come together and start something new together. Absolutely. So Nora May and I were both at what we like to call these reflection points in our career, thinking about all the experience that we'd had over the last two decades individually, and really wanting to lean into a values-first, values-driven career path for what was next. I mean, values has always been an important part of our career and who we are, being community-driven and living lives and careers of impact. But we really wanted to seek that out in a partnership. And so over the years, you know, we had talked about this. We talked about what we wanted and desired in a business partnership, what was important to us. And as we converged around the supply change capital thesis, we also started to converge around partnership. 2020 was such a difficult time in the world for so many reasons, sociopolitically, and it still is. And I think it really put under a microscope the type of partnership we wanted to build and our sense of urgency around doing that. So that's really the other reason that we leaned in together. That's amazing that you all met in 2009 and each went on different career trajectories and then are coming back together to invest in the future of food, which includes food and ag tech, ingredient tech, and what you all describe as culturally appealing brands. This is such an interesting area, such a vast area. And for those of us who don't spend all of our time in food, I'm curious, what are the opportunities you all are seeing? Help us understand a little bit more about these three verticals in the food space. Absolutely. So I want to share a little bit about our investment thesis, which I think gives the context for why we're investing in these areas. The future of our food system must be climate smart and it must be inclusive. I mean, these are the pressing issues of our time and our global food system is the biggest contributor globally to climate change. It is a huge part of the solution and it's also been built on colonial systems. And so if we are not thinking about the future of food through this lens, 
we really don't believe we're thinking about the future of food. So that is kind of our starting point. Supply Chain Capital invests in the future of food at the intersection of food, culture, and technology. The reason technology plays such a role and is such an opportunity is that in food and agriculture, technology really has largely been ignored. And there's a huge white space to advance the industry and move the industry forward in a sustainable way. Our lens for investing is thinking about building healthier communities, thinking about sustainable climate smart food systems, and thinking about inclusion in the supply chain. And so that's why we have the focus on the investment verticals that you mentioned in food and ag tech, ingredient tech, and consumer products. But in terms of the market opportunities we're seeing and the innovation we're seeing, it's a really, really exciting time. There are major cultural shifts happening towards plant-based foods. So nearly all Americans have tried almond milk as a fun fact. (laughs) So I think it's like 91%. So the vast majority of Americans have tried a plant-based food that 10 years ago, we couldn't have said this in the same way. Multicultural consumers are growing in U.S. population. By 2045, there's a major demographic flip coming to this country. And these are populations that are already underserved in the food space. And so there's a, a call for major innovation. What COVID did was make supply chains sexy, maybe for the first time ever. So the third emerging trend here is really around supply chain resiliency, efficiency, sustainability. So we see opportunities because of these macro trends. And then we see innovations coming everywhere. I know we'll talk about this a little bit more on the podcast where we're seeing deal flow and what we're getting excited about. But it really is kind of the convergence of those major trends that made us bring into focus the thesis that we have and realize in a pretty surprising way that there wasn't an investment firm really investing at this intersection. And something that we think a lot about on this show, just generally, I think limited partners want to understand, your founders want to understand is investor thesis fit and the backgrounds that you all each bring to your focus on investing in broadly the future of food with a sustainability lens. So Norma, I'd like to start with you. How did you arrive to this? You've done so much as an operator, an investor, and share with us how this investment thesis is the right thesis for your experience and vision. Yes, I'll I'll share how the dots connect here. I started my career as an engineer in the aerospace industry, so spent over a decade really focused on bringing innovation to market in large, very complex hardware products. Started on the satellite side and then ended up working in the airplane business and then the commercial crew capsule program. But my focus was always in operations, supply chain, and tech And I went to business school to really double down on all of that. I enrolled in a program called Leaders for Global Operations, which is specifically tailored to taking folks with an engineering or a tech background working in industry and helping you be a smarter leader that is really focused on data and data-informed leadership. I went back to my corporate career and in my last job was part of an internal consulting team helping Boeing compete with competitors and really found myself coming to work every day wishing that I could be part of that small, nimble team that we were competing with. And that was the beginning of the end of my corporate career. And in parallel to this, I had co-founded an organization called Latinas in STEM that was really feeding my soul in terms of 
me being able to create opportunities for young women to enter careers in science, tech, engineering, and math. And so when I came across venture capital in 2015 and that opportunity, I found it to be squarely at that intersection of innovation, equity, and impact. And I thought this is everything that I love. It's moving innovation to market, it is creating opportunities, and then building a community around people to make them successful. So I co-founded a venture capital firm making investments in early stage hardware and manufacturing, supply chain companies, and spent five years really learning what it takes to build a brand, to attract founders, investors, partners, and really help companies grow. And so all of that comes together with supply chain capital. It's early stage investing, it's building a firm, it's building partnerships and community, which I know we'll talk a little bit more about. And it really brings all of these different pieces together from my background. I have seen a lot of VCs who are launching funds, you know, do a pilot fund or a very small fund first. And in many ways, the firm that you founded and ran for five years is certainly not a pilot. It was a full fund. But I think that experience of you got the education on building a firm and now you're taking it forward into building supply change. And Shana, I'm curious, how did you come to the venture capital space? Yeah, I'm happy to share. And I just want to say snaps to that, Jessica. Nora May's experience in building out a firm has been so critical to building a strong foundation to what we're doing now. So I have a very different and very complementary background to Nora May. I spent 20 years in the food industry and really started out reimagining traditional commodity and crop systems. So I was working on supply chain innovation before we called it that in the early 2000s, before that was in the lingo. And in the early days of my career, I was in the specialty coffee industry. I was working with companies like Starbucks to try to figure out their supply chains, how to manage risk, how to bring a quality product to play, and in essence, how to think about the sustainability of those supply chains. There was a moment where I realized I was kind of at a crossroads in my career. I could continue to do the work, capitalize on the opportunity within the business space to bring this view and lens that I had around sustainability to business, or I could go the academic route. And I really wasn't sure which way I was going to go. So I ended up having the good fortune to move to Brazil on a Fulbright scholarship, which was a totally transformative moment for me not speaking Portuguese, learning that from the ground up, learning a new culture, and spending a lot of time in, in the rural area on farms. And it was a farm that I arrived at one day where the farmer said to me, hey, are you here to help me market my products better to get them to market? Or are you an agronomist? You're going to help me with plant science. And I realized, okay, business is probably the route for me. This is where I have a skill set. I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs, and I think I can really add value. So that moment, it really changed things in a lot of ways. I ended up going to business school and as mentioned where I met Nora May. Coming out of business school at MIT, I was recruited into Mars, the global food company. So I was recruited into Mars Chocolate. Mars was rethinking its supply chain and trying to figure out how to better work in these complex crop systems. And so I was brought on to build out a new program, really a new approach to sourcing and sustainability. And... What was interesting about that time is I was constantly looking at new innovations in the supply chain, from how crops were bought and sold, farmer financing, to the consumer side of things. And I started to get the startup bug. In a sense, I was operating as an intrapreneur, but it wasn't a totally entrepreneurial setting, and I wanted to move faster, which you can see is the theme with Nora May and I. And so I 
was mentoring earlier stage companies um, here in Chicago where I'm based, and that led to an opportunity to join a fast-growing startup called Farmer's Fridge. Farmer's Fridge had just closed a round of financing and was looking to bring on its first executive hire. So I joined the founder as the chief operating officer. And over four years, we built out a really dynamic, robust business, which had a number of interesting components. So we were making fresh food, selling it out of vending machines, collecting the data on sales statistics to manage waste in the supply chain and optimize the menu. So there really truly was food tech data play to that company. And I loved it. The team grew from zero to 300. We grew into larger and larger production facilities. And I realized I I really had the bug and early stage startup was where I wanted to be. And so it was through a series of Nora May mentioned conversations that we had where I started to think about angel investing and venture capital as a tool for change. I was certainly experiencing the power of venture capital as we were raising funding for Farmer's Fridge. And I was experiencing all the dynamics, good, bad, and ugly, as a woman raising money, as a female chief executive in the executive suite, as a female COO. And that was really another light bulb moment for me to think the way that capital is allocated is so critical to what innovations get to market. And as Nora May and I had our conversations, we realized we've uncovered a market opportunity with this thesis. And venture capital is a really powerful tool to make change and make money. So we decided to embark on the adventure together. So I'm curious to hear about how you all allocate capital and you all have a framework that aids with your diligence. I love a good framework. You all have a wonderful acronym for your framework, FOODS, which describes broadly the elements of a company that you look at, the founding team, opportunity, their operations, dynamics, and sustainability. I'm curious to learn more about this framework and what you all think about broadly when you're looking at a company and thinking about making an investment. Yeah, we think that on the firm building trail, how do you evaluate deals is really analogous to this question, tell me about a time in an interview setting, right? So it really is everything as we share what is important, unique, and critical in building out our firm. And so the motivators for creating this framework were really building bias out of the system, operationalizing our own process, moving quickly and adding guardrails to where we want to be investing. So as operators at heart, we wanted a firm process with gates and data. We wanted to be able to track how long it was taking from an inbound to our website until we got back to a founder and then ultimately made a decision on pass or moving forward. And so we really leveraged the summer and talent partnerships we had with the MIT Sustainability Initiative and Pledge LA and HBCU VC and a few other partners to focus on some of those foundational processes around deal inbounds, diligence frameworks, impact, post-investment support. And the foods framework really was one to emerge quickly out of that process. And so we use this framework to evaluate investments as they come inbound or get referred to us. We evaluate the opportunity, the deal dynamics. The sustainability piece of this is really whether an investment hits one of our impact areas We have diversity, sustainability, and health as the main impact points, and every company we've invested in to date touches on one or more of these. 
And so really it's a helpful tool for us to move quickly in deciding whether an investment fits our criteria and having a data-driven approach to get there to remove as much bias as possible from the process. And the result of that, you all shared with me before our conversation, your year-end report, that 86% of your portfolio companies have underrepresented founders. And that statistic blows pretty much every firm out of the water. And I think our audience would be curious to hear how you've been able to do that and what are the ways in which you all have gone about building a diverse network to enable such an awesome statistic? Before we go there, Jessica, I want to add a few other statistics, right? In addition to 86% of them being underrepresented, 57% of the companies we invested in are led by women, 86% reduce food system impact on climate, 71% promote healthier communities. So again, you see the diversity, sustainability, and health impact lens at play. We are a returns first fund. Again, with hyper-awareness over the demographic shift in the U.S., we think that the investments we've made are truly representative of the diversity of, of our country and the talent that exists. 70 to 80% of our deals evaluated this year, and we have about 800 of those, come from women and people of color. And so for us, it's great to see that the inbound continues to be reflected throughout the process and is certainly reflected in the capital allocations we've made at the end of the year. And beyond that, if we really zoom out and look at our full stack or vertically integrated process, Our LP base truly reflects this community as well. We've raised a significant amount of capital from diverse LPs who care about this intersection. So how do we get there? I think it is inherent in our networks. I am the co-founder of Latinx VC, which is a nonprofit organization that cares about increasing the ecosystem of Latino funders and founders. That has been an incredible source but also many other diversity networks like Portfolio's Rising America Fund and other organizations we've been part of. Shana's network as an operator raising capital, my co-investment network and network through the Kaufman Fellows are significant contributors to this. And as we build out this firm with a very visible and loud thesis, we are also attracting this inbound. We're supporting events where we talk a lot about this intersection of food, culture, and tech. And we're finding that it's really resonating. As we look at the Pareto of deal source, professional network, investor network, and events are the top three contributors to our deal flow. I think that being involved in the ecosystem is such an important secret weapon to have as a firm. And you all are more than just involved, Norma, as you said, you're co-founder of Latinx VC. You all together have founded an organization called the New American Table. And I'm curious just to learn more about these things. What is the New American Table? And then broadly, what are the ecosystems that you find most important and critical to create or be part of? Great question. So I'll, I'll jump in on New American Table, and we can talk about community building for a long time. One of the things we noticed as we went out to fundraise over the last year for our own firm, and then we're talking in community with founders who are also fundraising, is that there is 
pretty, I wouldn't even say implicit, just obvious bias to founders who are thinking about multicultural America. And a lot of the feedback that folks had been getting as they were fundraising, including us, is, so you're raising a fund to invest in ethnic food, or this is an Asian concept, so it's niche, and there's already Asian concepts out there. So it's just a kind of a common misconception, I would say, that kept coming up out in the marketplace. And we said, how do we shift the dialogue on this? It was actually a conversation with one of our LPs where we were sharing some frustration at this roadblock we felt like we kept hitting. How do we help people see our vision? And we formed a coalition with the mission to convene really the next generation of food and food tech brands. And the goal is to increase representation on the shelf and in the value chain. And it's to change the dialogue. So it's really instead of like shutting the door and saying, we're going to kind of do our own thing, it's how do we build the table and make the table bigger and invite folks to our table to see this vision. And so what this coalition has done is it's brought together an advisory board of founders and media representatives and folks from leading retailers, as well as just founders around the country that are building their own businesses to create events and media opportunities and soon to be in 2022 programming to help facilitate these connections, talk about the issues and make some real change within the industry. Within all of the things that you all are doing, does public policy ever come up as something you want to participate in or a lever that you want to pull to drive a more sustainable and diverse food system? Public policy plays a a major role. Recently, we were seeing the food waste legislation going through Congress because expiration dates on food are meaningless and driving a lot of food waste. And that's obviously a critical topic we're looking at. So yes, legislation is major. And we see it coming to play in the food ecosystem. And we also see it coming to play in the venture ecosystem. So it is absolutely something that we talk about in the communities that we're involved with. I'll add on the the community piece, Jessica. I think the community building is truly foundational to who we are and how we like to work. And the common theme you see through all the different community initiatives that we're part of is that we like to do thought leadership in the industry, right? We want to be part of reimagining the future and we want to be part of advancing opportunities for underserved founders. So the net positive here for supply change capital is that we are truly creating that future that we want to see. I'm curious to dive into some of the investments that you all have made just for everyone who's learning about the food space, thinking about sustainability. I think that the Pillars of your investment strategy, food and ag tech, ingredient tech, culturally appealing brands, they span a a wide range of things, but all towards this mission of a more sustainable food system. What are some of the early partnerships that you've made through your fund? It's a great question and really exciting to think about, to think that we've gone from zero to six investments now at the end of 2021, with one more coming very soon. And so, yeah, let's highlight a couple of those. Ingredient tech is a category we get asked about a lot. What does that mean? And there, there's a lot of opportunity to think about what's in our food. Alternative proteins are a big piece of this, as well as thinking about how we use heirloom and heritage ingredients within our food system. One of the investments we've made in this space is called Aquacultured Foods. It is a Chicago-based, female-founded ingredient tech company that focuses on alternative seafood. So using fermentation technology to replicate the whole muscle feel of a fish fillet and bring that to market. And whole muscle is kind of the holy grail in alt protein, which is something that's exciting about this technology. And it's just fungi. 
based, really. Fermentation is something that's been used in the food system forever. Think about beer and cheese and kombucha. So being based in the Midwest is really an advantage for this company. And they're focused on leading that fermentation-based ingredient revolution. So that's what I'm really excited about. Norma, what would you add? Yeah, I would say we've invested across a few different sectors, including B2B SaaS, all proteins, media, supply chain, e-commerce, and certainly CPG. I'll say one of the companies that is really interesting for me culturally is a company called Agua Bonita. They are a ready-to-drink, culturally relevant, 100% real fruit, Agua Fresca. And Agua Fresca is a staple drink in the Latino community. I grew up drinking it. It is made from fresh fruit. And they're offering a better-for-you alternative with no sugar added, but really also upcycling the fruits they use from farms at where it would normally go to waste. So they are part of serving this underserved $1.2 trillion Latino market with a potential for mainstream appeal. We're really excited about this team. We were part of their pre-seed investment round and are excited to see them grow and move from DTC into retail so that they can increase their consumer base. I feel like I wish there was a supply chain capital store where I could buy something from all of your portfolio companies in one place. And I want to dive into the value proposition. You have two key customers, your founders that you're working with, and thank you for sharing some of those, and your LPs. And I think one of the hardest challenges when you're raising a new fund is really clarifying your value proposition to LPs and finding the right investor for your fund who also identifies with what you all are building and wants to be part of the journey. So how do you view your LPs as partners and what was the process like for you in terms of identifying that right LP fund fit? Yeah, good question. When I first got into venture six years ago, we talked about having an opportunistic strategy. And we thought that was the coolest thing ever because it would allow us the breath to really consider any kind of investment. And what I learned was that it was hard for LPs to put us in a bucket. And often when they did, it wasn't the most optimal bucket for fundraising. And so that is one of the lessons learned I really brought to supply chain capital and making sure that our investment thesis was focused enough to really attract the right kind of investors. And we're finding synergy across a few different things. We're finding synergy with people who resonate with the thesis as a whole. We're finding synergy with LPs who are investing in the emerging fund manager space because of a history of positive returns. And we're finding synergy with people who care about the diversity component and who see the data in terms of our investments and are really moved to support us. And I think that having a strategy that is niche enough for a sector as big as food really supports LPs, co-investors, and founders. And what we often hear, the little soundbite is, I love your fund because I know exactly what to send you. Right? I know exactly the type of company to refer to you. And so for LPs, I think the value proposition is access on the strategic side. It is certainly access to something similar but different. Right, Strategics are looking for diversified deal flow. They are not getting the level of access that we get. And so that's where we find overlap. For many of the institutional investors who have come on board, 
I think the intersection of food, culture, and tech with a specific impact lens to sustainability and health has been another key differentiator. So all in all, we are specific enough to have LPs find us, and we continuously work to build in the guardrails to ensure that we can go faster as an operations team, review more deals, and really hone in on what it is we're looking for. That makes a lot of sense. And I think as folks out there who may be considering raising their own fund, there often seems to be this choice of, am I generalist or am I sector specific or focused on niche? And I think your point is plant a flag, make it very clear what LPs can expect from you and that will help build a relationship and and drive positive outcomes and efficiencies for both sides over time. Shana and I were talking about this earlier this week where we said we've had a few conversations in which folks will say to us, wow, you did everything you said you were going to do. And so we had a moment of reflection because when we're chatting with founders, we often use that soundbite too. We are certainly moved by the founders who do exactly what they said we were going to do. So it was just a, a moment of all of this coming together for us in our own journey, building out the firm where we thought, well, of course, that makes sense because we are moved by exactly the same level of execution. And in this very high-risk environment of early-stage private capital, private companies, doing what you say you're going to do is quite a challenge and an aberration from the mean. So I think that's really important. I want to focus a bit on this process of raising the fund. So one of the things we think a lot about at Carta, of course, is the back office and the bones of the firm, the fund structure, relationships with LPs, reporting, all of the capabilities and actions that it takes to be an institutional fund, a fiduciary of other people's capital. Looking across your journey of building supply chain capital, I'm curious, what's been one of your biggest learnings in this regard in terms of building the back office, the operations of the fund. And since both of you have operational backgrounds, I know that this was probably not something that you all considered right out of the gate, but I'd love to hear the journey of learning this fund management element. Yeah, happy to share that. And I think we should also at some point go back to the value proposition for founders because I think it's a big one and important for our firm and has certainly been attracting founders So as we think about building our back office, certainly I have my previous firm experience to guide us in terms of what to do. But here, what's been important for us is teaming up with service providers who can really help us learn and grow. And our very first service provider relationship was on the legal side. It is with a a boutique law firm called All Places, run by Jessie Gabriel, and she has a focus on supporting female entrepreneurs and female fund managers and has very much a community mindset, just like we do. So beyond legal services that are can be fixed fee, so you don't worry about picking up the phone and asking a question. It's very collaborative in that sense. She also runs ecosystems of GP networks and founders who can come together and share and learn. And so that's what really attracted us to that service provider. And as we think about all the different firms we've partnered with on the fund management side, that is certainly top of mind for us. 
And we continuously build in process as we unlock fundraising milestones and can add more budget to service providers. We constantly think about what we're good at and what we should outsource. So we have a suite of software and service providers that are really aligned in that sense. One thing I would add is in addition to that, you know, there's all the operational processes to build out in terms of how we do things. So we talked about the foods framework, how we recruit, how we bring deals through, et cetera. And something that Nora May and I've been talking about quite often that she reminded me of earlier today again is we call this the supply change way. So we both come to this with different experiences in the food industry, in the venture industry. And there are some processes, they're standard, right? It's table stakes, like no questions asked. But a lot of what we do is really kind of the special sauce of our firm. And so building out that foods framework is really critical for us because it's how do we as supply chain capital want to evaluate deals against our thesis. And so it's just it's something that comes up with us over and over again is are we accepting what everyone else is doing just because that's what you're supposed to do? Or are we really taking the lens of what's the supply chain way for this that distinguishes our firm and, and sets us apart? So it's something that we're constantly talking about and iterating about as well. And the supply chain capital way, which I love that, is a great segue to discuss how you all have solved for supporting founders and continue to solve for supporting founders. So what is the supply chain way? <laughs> of, yes. Um, what can be described as value add, but I want to hear what your version of yeah. supporting your founders is. A hundred percent. So we even have a special name for it, but we have a post-investment support program that we call Supercharge 3. And this looks at how to support founders on leadership, management, and DNI slash culture once we've made the investment or diversity and inclusion. The reason that we're taking this approach is from my operating background, Nora May having led an accelerator of 22 programs, we both saw very common themes as challenges coming up with founders. When you're venture-backed, you're growing very quickly, you're having to cross many, many chasms, and you often don't have the toolbox to do so. And so we said, let's talk about this from the beginning. This is about founders' emotional intelligence. We know that is highly correlated to business success and to their success in exiting with their company. And so we're working with an executive coaching firm in Chicago called Verdi Associates, kicking the program off early 2022. And one of the coolest things is we've been talking about this in the ecosystem, and we now have founders coming to us saying, how do I get into your Supercharged 3 program? We hope that it, this is a model for the industry. We certainly think it's something that's going to set our founders apart, and it is distinguishing us in the marketplace. I love that, Supercharged 3. And as someone who has a professional coach, I can definitely vouch for how important that would be for a founder running a company. That's amazing. Well, I want to end our conversation by going back in time. Something that I've observed in speaking with many VCs is that there was usually an early moment in your education, in your career, in your life that led you on this entrepreneurial path. And there's no straight lines typically from point A to VC, but thinking about the inspiring moments or pivotal moments, what would you point to as an experience that led you to such an entrepreneurial career? I love that question. And Nora May and I were reflecting on how nice it is to go back in time. So for me, I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family, a family of business entrepreneurs and artists who are entrepreneurs. And so I kind of always grew up with the challenge of status quo mentality 
My parents like to joke that my first sentence was just a minute because my dad was building his business and he had this like massive cell phone in the 80s. And as I was tugging on his shirt to pay attention to me, he'd say, just a minute. That was my first sentence. And I think what that really shows is just that this kind of line between life and entrepreneurship, it was just kind of always blurred and very dynamic and really a part of our upbringing. The moment that made me realize I wanted to do food was actually in university, food and agriculture, when I learned a statistic that most of the world's poor are farmers and can't feed their families. And my grandfather had grown up on a family farm and had had to abandon his farm for the same reason. So that was really an aha moment for me on kind of my life's calling or purpose. And I think with just those entrepreneurial roots, the two clicked. That makes sense. That's wonderful. How about you, Norma? I would say the intersection of innovation, equity, and impact is my jam. This is where I'm happiest. And for me, it was high school. So I'm a first-generation college grad. I was born in Mexico, raised in Los Angeles. I was a teen mom, and I graduated high school with a one-year-old. And at the time, I didn't have a strong vision for what I could do with my career. And I thought that if I could get a job making $10 an hour, I was going to be just okay And I was lucky to have been tapped on the shoulder by someone from my high school who had gone off to MIT and shared a very relatable story about his own upbringing and opportunity. And that was the moment in which my life was changed. I followed in his footsteps and and then certainly crafted my own career after that. But that pivotal moment for me is a constant reminder that there is talent everywhere and that it's important for us to constantly share our own stories and journeys and provide opportunity for folks who are certainly smart but may not have the network to propel them forward. So it is a daily reminder to look everywhere and to remove my own bias as we search for companies to invest in. Well, thank you so much for being on The First Close and for sharing your journeys to venture capital. So inspiring. And I'm really looking forward to following Supply Change Capital and all that you all bring to the venture ecosystem, the food ecosystem. And I think observing you all really live at the intersection of impact, investing, and diversity, equity, and inclusion is really a model for what venture capital can be. So congrats and thank you both. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It would be an understatement to say that the food industry is a big one. Nora May and Shana estimate the market size to be $6 trillion in the U.S. alone. And according to Ag Funders 2021 Agri-Food Tech Report on companies in ag and food, companies in these sectors raised $26 billion worldwide in 2020, which was a 15.5% increase from 2019. And it's projected that over $30 billion will have gone into food and ag tech in 2021. Deploying capital into emerging companies is only half the battle to transforming the food system in the way that Nora May and Shana are committed to. In fact, having a perspective on what should change and how those changes might occur is an even bigger task. The Supply Change Capital Theory of Change focuses on building a healthier, more sustainable, more equitable food system. And one unique aspect of their approach to investing in and building this healthier, more sustainable, more equitable food system, which is no small task, is creating value for the ecosystem as a whole, in addition to the value they create for the founders they support. 
And to create value for the ecosystem as a whole, Shayna and Nora May founded the New American Table, which is a coalition of iconic food and technology brands that focus on, as they describe it, inclusive, paradigm-shifting collaborations to increase representation on the shelf and in the value chain. By taking this holistic approach to solving challenges in our food system, Nora May and Shayna observe in the food value chain that this ecosystem work drives their networks, their community, and their ability to meet and invest in founders who are changing the food system. And it's this kind of ecosystem approach that will help set them on the path for success. We look forward to seeing where supply chain capital goes. This podcast is presented by eShares Incorporated, doing business as Carta Incorporated, Carta, and Carta Ventures. The opinions of the guests and host are their own and do not reflect the view of eShares Incorporated, doing business as Carta Incorporated, Carta, and Carta Ventures. Listeners should not treat any opinion or comments as investment, financial, legal, accounting, or tax advice. The content of the podcast is not legal, financial, or tax advice and is not meant to recommend or offer the purchase or sale of a security. This podcast is informational only. The First Close is a Hit Start Media production. The show is written and co-produced by me, Jessica Strauss. Hit Start Media founder Theo Miller is creative director, with sound production by Nick Canapa and script production by Mary Kelleher. This podcast is presented by eShares, Inc., doing business as Carta, Inc., Carta, and Carta Ventures.